Welcome back to the You Made New podcast. My name is JC, the Gospel-Centered Health Coach. I'm really ready to dive into this one, mostly because it's an extension of episode two. So I hope you listen to that one. We are going to build a little bit on the ideas that we talked about there and, and kind of look just a bit more at Rapunzel's story, but actually I have a new story to piggyback on that one with. It's not from Disney. Sorry, it's from another source and I'll explain in a minute. The idea I want to really hone in on is that we are moving from our tower into a new place of freedom. That's why I called this episode, The Path of Freedom, what that looks like. What does it mean? How do we get there? So many questions can come up as we begin to to contemplate how we move out of these places of captivity that we've been stuck in for so, so, so long. How do we change? What's going to happen? I I will say that the more I've thought about Rapunzel's story, as much as I adore it and adore the connections and the parallels that we can make, I think I can put myself in a little bit um, different situation. And maybe you'll relate to this. Yes, in some ways, when it came to my body image or some of the messages that I would internalized from our culture and the ways where I tried to absolutely follow that cultural pressure to conform to that image of beauty. Yes, in some ways, I stayed in those towers of my own accord where I could have left them at any point. But with other issues in my health and wellness journey, I tried all the time to leave the tower. I mean, especially when it came to food, things that I, the complicated food issues that I had. I was constantly trying to come up with a new escape plan plan to get out of that tower. I, I'm wondering if you relate. We did talk about that in a former episode about how many times we've started new Mondays or new January 1st or new programs, new attempts. It was our latest escape plan, right? To, to help us leave that tower. Like this time, I know we're going to do it. And I just failed again and again and again. Sometimes it would really look like it was going to last this time. And it was really going to do it this time. And, and just eventually, sooner or later, back I would be right in that same bondage, right with those old patterns, the old habits, they'd all come back. And so I had tried to get out, unlike Rapunzel, in many areas of my life, I had. And so that's what I want to kind of work on today as we, we talk through some ideas on what the path to freedom looks like. Many of us are coming from a place of failure in trying to walk this path. I mean, we over and over and over, we, we failed so many times that even the hope that a, a new path would actually lead to freedom can seem very daunting. Like, I'm just not sure. I, I don't know. Is there ever anything that will really help me be free? And so as we talk about a gospel-centered approach, and really allowing our rescuer to come rescue us and redeem us and deliver us from these towers that we've been in. The question then becomes, well, how does he save us then? What does that look like? How does he work in our lives to help save us? And that's where I want to come up with or introduce this other story that actually comes from C.S. Lewis and his um, Chronicles of Narnia series. I hope you're a fan. Um, the again, parallels in his books are so profound as his lion Aslan is a Christ figure and he introduces so many beautiful truths through that one um, storyline. So the story for me that's always been a favorite 
comes from the, I think it's the third, forgive me, I forgot to look it up, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It was that story. It's been made into a movie. Maybe I think it's the third because it's the third movie. Either way, um, I will say that the story is told better in the book, at least in terms of the parallels and really portraying it in a way that helps us understand how our rescuer rescues. So I'm going to tell it a little closer to the book version than the movie version, although the, it's portrayed in both. But it's the story of a character named Eustace. And he is a cousin, if you know the Narnia stories at all, he's a cousin to the Pevensey children who are the main characters in this story. Um, in this particular version, Edmund and Lucy, two of the, the Pevensey children, are, are brought into Narnia and Evan, or Eustace unwittingly is dragged along with them. He doesn't, has never been to Narnia, and he's actually an unfortunately very negative, ornery um, character who's always fussing, always giving them a hard time. He's not happy about finding himself in Narnia. And when they first show up there, they are on a, a ship called the Dawn Treader, and the adventure begins, and, and Eustace isn't happy about it. So as the story continues, and I'm going to cut a lot out, they land on an island. And by this time, Eustace, Eustace has had enough. So when no one's looking, he sneaks off the ship and decides to go exploring this island on his own. So as he begins to, begins to walk around the island and, and creep around and see what he can find, before long, he comes across a dragon's lair with all the, the riches and gold and treasures that the dragon has, has stolen or from wherever and brought to the lair. So it's this big mound of treasures. The dragon, of course, is not there. And so Eustace sneaks into this lair. And what would any of us do with a whole big pile of gold? He starts playing with it and enjoying it and having fun with it. He finds a big bracelet and puts it on his arm and a crown on his head, different things, and just has fun exploring this, this lair of treasures. But before long, he grows sleepy and, and falls asleep right there on the lair. And so the, the strange thing happens. Eventually, he, he jolts awake. And as he lays there and kind of looks around, before he moves, he starts to realize he can see dragon breath going in and out right by him. He can see that breath and he starts to panic and thinks, oh no, the dragon has come back. But as soon as he starts to explore the situation a little further, he looks around, he can see a dragon tail moving and he can, he's He's not quite sure what's going on. And suddenly he realizes that the breath is going in and out with his breath. And the movement of the dragon is correlating with his movement. And he panics, jumps up, runs out of the lair, looks in some water to see his reflection. And as he looks there, he sees a dragon staring back at him. And what has happened is while he's sleeping on that dragon's hoard, on all those treasures, he turns into a dragon himself. So he doesn't really actually know what to do. He begins trying out this life as a dragon and at first finds that it's actually kind of fun. He learns that he can fly. He can breathe fire. He flies around the island. He can fly over the ship and his friends and, and actually enjoys the adventure. But the longer the story goes on, Eustace grows very tired of his life as a dragon. He tries to communicate with his cousins um, and has a hard time with that. He, he really grows weary for his old life. And wants to return to the freedom of being a boy. And so he really has a hard time knowing what to do to break free from this struggle that he's found himself in. 
Well, one night, and forgive me, I should have read the book before I did this. I hadn't looked back. I've told it so many times. I think he has a dream. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But in the dream, Aslan, the Christ figure, the great lion comes to him and takes him um, to a place where there's a spring, a, a pool of water. And more than anything, Eustace wants to bathe in that pool. The bracelet he, that he put on when he was a boy is now um, squeezing his dragon-sized arm, and it's painful. And he would like very much to soak in this pool. And so Aslan look at, looks at him and says, you're going to have to undress first. So he takes a hold and looks at his dragon skin and, and starts to realize as he tugs on it a little bit, the dragon skin starts to peel off. So getting excited, he, he starts to peel on that dragon skin and peels and peels and peels and finally realizes he can, he can tear the whole thing off just like a snake skin and throws it on the ground, happy to be free of that dragon skin. So he takes a few steps to go down into the pool and looks down and that dragon skin is right back on him covering him all over again. And he thinks, wait a minute, how many skins do I have to take off? So he starts tugging again and pulls and pulls and tugs and peels away the second dragon skin, throws it on the ground and again begins to step down into the pool. And again, the third time the dragon skin appears on him all over again. All his efforts are in vain. He seems unable to remove the dragon skin for good. For good. And as he looks at Aslan, the lion looks at him in return and says, you're going to have to let me do it. So Eustace lays down and he said the first tear of the lion's claws into that dragon skin hurt worse than anything he'd ever felt. But he could only abide it, he says, by the pleasure of feeling the stuff actually peel off. And the lion peeled it as he's never been able to do. Oh, the lion peeled off that dragon skin, threw it down, and Eustace said, it was so much more dark and thick and knobbly than the tiny ones that I tried to peel off. But this time, the dragon skin was removed for good. And Eustace was able to return to a new life, now as a very different boy, because of his experiences. So maybe you're beginning to already see the parallels through this story. I absolutely relate to Eustace in that I peeled off my dragon skin time and time and time again. I tried every type of, of way that I could think of to get it off. I tried diets. I tried setting goals. I tried New Year's resolutions. I tried having others hold me accountable, having accountability partners. I'd try new books. I'd try whatever Oprah suggested or Dr. Oz suggest suggested. It would have been paleo or keto or whatever. I probably tried it. I'd fall off the wagon. I'd wait until I really couldn't take it anymore. And then I'd try it again. And it just came back again and again and again, just like Eustace. I was unable to free myself in a way that was truly free. In fact, most of the time when I would kind of felt like the dragon skin was off, it would just leave me in a new place of obsession because I'd have to stay obsessed with calories and counting and macros and exercise to, to keep myself in that. But it wasn't free. It wasn't a place of freedom. I was now my new, my old neglect and guilt and shame over my weight was now replaced by a new obsession that I had to make it a daily compulsion to, oh, I got to stay on my fitness tracking or I'm going to end up right in that plate, back in that place. And often I did, especially if it was near Christmas or a time when there was a family party or high stress. 
down I'd go, back the dragon skin would come. So what I love about this beautiful story is that we really truly have to come to the point where we see for ourselves that our own efforts won't ever, ever cut it. This is a type of captivity, perhaps unlike Rapunzel, maybe like her in some ways, but we can't truly get out of the tower on our own. She couldn't have found her way home by herself. She did need someone to show her the way. But, but I would like to suggest when it comes to our Savior and how he rescues, we don't just need his companionship as we begin to rock this road to, to be our cheerleader. Yes, he will do that. <laughs> yes, he will. But I think we need to think much bigger in terms of how deeply and broadly we need him. For instance, um, I for sure needed his strength. I needed an empowering infusion of his grace so that I could find the self-control to walk this road. I had gone back so many times and it wasn't about willpower anymore. This was about an infusion of supernatural self-control from the Lord himself. We talk more about that in some of my courses, but that is what actually got me to keep moving my feet down this path is that reliance on his strength, not my own, not my limited willpower that never held out for very long. It was a new source of strength for me. I also needed his wisdom and his discernment because I wasn't quite sure what the path needed to look like. There were so many voices shouting to me, eat this way, eat that way, do this much cardio. No, cut that food out. No, that food will give you cancer. Don't, it's exhausting. How do you know the path? I mean, 20 years ago, they were saying a certain dietary advice. Now all that's been thrown out and we're saying, no, no, that's wrong. Now it's this. How do we know that this won't be thrown out in 20 more years with a new fad that says, oh no, now the science is showing it's this. How do you make your way through that maze? Again, I needed him desperately for his discernment to show me the truth for me when it came to diet, body image, size, um, health, even medicinally, how to take care of myself, how to, how to care for my family. All of that, boy, he had a, a lot to say on those things. I'd never really taken it to him. And once I finally did, oh, he was outlining the path day by day by day. So that wisdom, that discernment, that guidance, that direction, we need him for that so desperately. I also want to throw out there the suggestion that we, it may even be that we need his healing because it may be that some of our food issues, some of our emotional eating or stress eating may be born from some very deep pain. It may not, but it may have come from something years and years ago that's buried so deep that he alone understands the connection there and can and gently and carefully take us back to those places and heal that brokenness and bind up those wounds so that we're no longer needing food as our band-aid or as our comfort. Do you see how many ways that we need to look to him as a rescuer? How many different types of um, ways that he could bless us in our journey as we began to move forward. For me, um, that had to involve coming to know him. I mean, definitely that happened with Rapunzel and Eugene, right? You draw closer to each other as you journey together in that type of an intimate walk, day in, day out, 
looking into some very personal things, he suddenly became my very best friend. I had needed him before in, in deep ways in my life. And I'm not saying that I didn't know him at all, but until I began to walk this path and rely on him on this level, I, I just needed to. I did it out of a deep need. I wish I would have chosen to come to know him out of just a desire to, but it, it was more born out of my desperation, like I keep saying. But it was okay because it was a gift. It taught me to hear his voice and to know what that sounds like, to know how he communicates with me and, and how I communicate back. We talk about this quite a bit in several of the classes. I think satisfied is probably the one I talk about it the most, but that's a key component. We can't have a rescuer that we don't even know. That's a stranger to us. How does he talk to us? How does he speak to us? How does he guide us? It's a surrendering like we talked about, but also giving him our full attention so that he can give us the fullness of everything he has to offer to carry us to that new place. All the resources of his strength, his guidance, his wisdom, his knowledge. He really, he trumps any food expert out there. I don't care what book, what doctor, what food plan, what program. He's more brilliant than all of them combined. He created the human body and knows exactly what your individual path needs to look like. I can't just tell you my path because it was very different. It, so we have, may have some similarities and you'll find little moments of my experience that you will relate with. But more than anything, I truly believe it's just the pattern of coming to Christ and letting him coach us himself. What do I eat? How do I move forward? How do I disconnect from food? Answering all of these questions. How do I ever feel positive about my body image? He has answers to all of those things. And it's the most beautiful relationship that begins to develop as he sets us free. As I said in episode two, as he peels off those onion layers and we find more and more and more who we are, like Eustace becoming a new creature, having been transformed by our experience. And when he peels that dragon skin off, now we're different. Like Rapunzel at the end of her story, understanding finally who she really was. You're never the same after that. And what it did for me, actually, and this has nothing to do with health and wellness. Well, maybe it does in terms of mental wellness. I was so profoundly impacted by the whole experience. I began to, to ask him, all right, what else? What else in my life needs to be healed? What else needs to be changed? What other paths of freedom have I not yet walked and not let you, let you guide me down. And, and it's just, I've started running in that direction more and more because it's been the most amazing transformative experience. So for today, for this episode, that's my, my little story to chew on. Don't pull off your dragon skin on your own anymore. Don't throw wasted energy at that anymore. If, if hopefully you've tried enough times to finally get to the point where you can say, I'm done. I need more help than this. And where you can lay down like Eustace and just let him begin to pull. Yes, it may be a little painful, like C.S. Lewis acknowledges. 
but it's going to feel so good to feel that coming off once and for all. Thank you for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful day and please come back for the next episode.